It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live on this chilly Tuesday afternoon in the New York metropolitan area. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly, 973-667-1960. And as a reminder, we do not have a call screener. We only have one line, so if it's busy, keep trying. And when you do get through, you'll just hear a little click. You'll hear us talking. And when we bring you on, that means you're on. There'll be no additional click or anything like that. You give us your name, where you're calling from, and we go from there. Mr. Lance Meadow joins me today on the show. Hello, Lance Lott. How are you? I am doing very well. How about you, sir? I'm doing great. This will be the last time Lance and I talk amicably until the weekend <laughs> when we face off in our fantasy football playoff matchup, so that'll be fun. Um, but Lance, You've been I- doing a lot of more talking than I have on that front. I just want to make that oh, very clear. I haven't talked any trash. Well, people that tune into this show have not been viewing the emails that have no, been sent out. No, that's not trash talk. League. That's not trash Well, it, it's been a, a big scene setter, a lot, a lot of chatter, okay, behind closed doors. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway. I'm not a big talker when it comes to that. I really My team shows up, period. I really, End of discussion. I really haven't said anything. I, I, I honestly don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. Oh, yes, sure. No, now, I don't. I really yeah. don't. Play um, all quiet and timid on the airwaves. Okay, I see how we're going to go. That's fine. This weekend, the New York Giants falling to the Arizona Cardinals in uh, – Disappointing fashion, 26-7. to You had Paul Dottino and Jeff Eagles on the show yesterday. Give their take. We're not going to kind of go through the game, but we will give our, our key takeaways from the game. And Lance, this is something that I talked a little bit about in our cover three on Giants.com. I do not believe my film review is out yet, but I talk about it a little bit in there too, and I will in the mailbag. That's going to hit Giants.com today. But this game was evidence of what happened when the Giants formula breaks down and falls apart. And the Giants formula during that four-game winning streak is one that I've talked about a lot in, in our written content on, on and on the show. Very simply, they were winning games by running the football, most importantly, winning the turnover battle. They were plus eight during that four-game winning streak. I believe that led the league in that time. Is this that you gave over the weekend, right, Lance? Yep. So they were doing that. And their defense was not only playing really good football, they were creating a lot of negative plays, taking the ball away, and helping the offense score points. Well, all of that, except for running, I thought they ran the ball fine, but all those other things fell by the wayside against the Cardinals on Sunday. And a huge key, at least to me, Lance, for the Giants during this four-game winning streak has been their ability to get early leads and play from ahead to stick to that formula. And once you had that early turnover, the Giants defense did a great job keeping the team in the game as best they could in the first half, but you know they couldn't do it forever. They lost the field position battle. The Giants' average of starting field position was around 18. The Cardinals was around midfield. The Giants never started to drive on the other side of their own 30-yard line. So put all that together, the Giants turned into a team end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, where they had to throw the football a lot. The Cardinals knew they had to throw the football a lot. And lo and behold, the offensive line fell apart. And that's when they couldn't protect the quarterback. The pressure 
was there in the first half, but it wasn't that bad. In the fourth quarter, you saw it fall apart a bit, Lance, once the Giants were in must-pass mode as it went. And that's why it's so tricky to win football games the way the Giants were winning those games because it's easy to get out of that formula. And I wasn't sure if that was sustainable, if the Giants could win, if they're out of that formula. At least this past week against Arizona, they couldn't. Yeah, well, to your point, and I think this sums it up the best way, John, is the fact that the Giants are built to play with the lead in those matters. But when you flip the script and you tell them they have to erase a double-digit deficit, which is what they were faced against Arizona, and you're telling this team to throw, and now the ratio is in favor of the pass versus the run, the Giants are just not built like that, especially when your quarterback's dealing with a hamstring injury. It got to the point where the Cardinals realized Daniel Jones was not going to be a threat to run, and that showed up in the stats. He didn't run once. So they knew, okay, we're going to cover these guys. We're going to win the battle down the field, and if he's got nowhere to go, then our guys up front are going to finish. And that's exactly how the second half played out because a number of those sacks were covered sacks, which is what you were hitting on. I mean, Hassan Reddick had the game of his life, but his secondary he has to thank because there weren't many opportunities and places for Daniels Jones to go with the football. But to me, John, this game turned right off the first possession sure. because the Giants had arguably their most productive possession to start the game. They get to midfield. Then Marcus Golden gets the strip sack. The Cardinals take over on the Giants' nine. Now, granted, the Giants' defense came through with a goal line stand, but that, to me, set a chain reaction in place because what happened is the Giants then started with their backs against the wall of their own end zone on the ensuing possession, and when you don't pick up first downs and you give up a 24-yard punt return, now all of a sudden the Cardinals are back starting into your own territory, and it was almost as if the Giants could never get out of with their backs against the wall throughout the entire game. You talked about average field position. Let me take it a step further. The Cardinals had 12 possessions, because let's remove the last one where they took a few knees. That's not a possession to me. Five of the 12 started at midfield or Giants territory, John. You can't give gifts to a team like that. Think about this. The Cardinals' main issue coming into this game was Kyler Murray wasn't running much. There was questions about his health. And the Cardinals' offense wasn't nearly as electric. So now you're telling an offense that's still searching for its identity, still trying to get out of its recent issues, now you're telling them, hey, more often than not, you just got to go 50 yards or less to get points on the board. We're not even talking about score a touchdown, just get in field goal range. Yeah, more often than not, a team like that's going to take advantage. That's exactly what the Cardinals did, and then they protected their defense by having a sizable lead, so therefore they didn't have to get out of character on defense in which they were playing from behind in their previous three games, which they all had ultimately lost. So it played perfectly into the hands of the Cardinals, and it went completely off script for the Giants. It did. I'm with you 100% because you're right. That second Cardinal drive then started inside Giants territory. That's how they got that field goal. And a big difference in the game, Lance, and I'm not putting this on the defense, not by any means um, am I doing that, but the difference is after the half against Seattle, the Giants just trailed 5 nothing, right? In that game, because they held Seattle to five points. Yeah, it was the second straight game, by the way, that they didn't score in the first half. Correct. Well, this was the difference. So the Cardinals at the half were up 13-0, but then they got the ball to start the third quarter, scored on that drive. That put them up 20-0. There's a huge difference between being down 5-0 and being down 20-0. And it's very difficult to make up that sort of deficit. The Giants tried to stick to the run game in the second half. They still ran it on that subsequent drive. They ran on the drive after that. But... 
eventually it became difficult. And for me, Lance, the, offensively for the Giants, and a lot of people are coming up with reasons here why things didn't work out. For me, the reason this did not work out for the Giants in this game, they could not convert on third downs. Oh yeah. In, in the first half, and to me, that's when this game was lost. Because once you're down 20 to nothing in the third quarter, it's going to be really tough for you to come back in this game, but I'll even get to that in a second. So they were over, they were one for six in, in, in the first half in terms of third downs. Three of those were for five yards or less. Two are for seven yards. You know, those are, you know, seven's not easy, but it's certainly not, you know, third and 13 or third and yeah, 14, it's not overwhelming. right? No, those are ones you should be able to convert. Given the down and distance, they should not have been one and six in that first half. And when you can't convert those third and ones, those third and fours, those third and threes, you're going to have trouble sustaining any sort of rhythm on offense. You're not going to be able to move the ball. You're going to have a ton of three and outs. Lance, in this game, the Giants had one, two, three, four, five three and outs. And on two other drives, they just had five plays in the first half. Another play drive, they just had six. So the Giants cannot sustain drives because they cannot convert third downs. And, for, and look, I know some of the third downs were unreasonable. I thought the down to distance on the third downs were fine. They, it was the same type of down and distance they had been converting in past games. And then you go to the, the third quarter when the Giants kind of had their last, last gasp, right? They were down 20-7 to after they had that big pass down the field to Golden Tate, made a nice contested catch after Wayne Goldman had a 16-yard run on that drive too. So the next drive, the defense does their job. They get the Cardinals off the field. Now they do get a couple first downs. That was another thing. The Cardinals didn't have one three and out in this game. So they always got 20, 30 yards in their drives, which, which hurt the Giants' field position, to your earlier point. So the Giants get the ball on their own seven-yard line. They get into a third and one. They decide to pass, and Joe Judge talked about this in the postgame, Lance. They decide to take a shot to Sterling Shepard deep. He had Drake Kirkpatrick one-on-one. -on -one. There was no safety help. It was a good read. If you want to take a shot there, it's not a bad shot to take. But there was good tight one-on-one -on -one coverage. It was an incomplete pass. And on the other side of the formation, you had a little rub route between Evan Ingram and Caden Smith, which could have converted the first down. So that was a key first down. Then on the Giants' next drive, now down 23-7 to here, Lance. So you're still technically just two scores down if you get two touchdowns and two-point conversions, right? So they're in a third and four in that situation on their own 32-yard line. Well, you get a five-man rush. Andrew Thomas gets beat outside. On the, left, on the right side of the offensive line, Matt Pert and Kevin Zeitler failed to pass off a stunt, and Jones gets sacked pretty quickly. That wasn't a coverage sack. That was a sack where they got yeah, to that him was pretty by quickly. That's correct. So that was the second third down. But again, it's a third and one and a third and four. The way the Giants' offense works, that's what they want to be in on third downs. But they weren't able to convert those, and it really haunted them all game long. Well, and that's also another reason why when you look at the number of plays that were run in this game, John, I mean, look at the disparity. Yep. Cardinals ran 79. The Giants ran 49. I mean, that's plus 30 for Arizona. And then, of course, time of possession is going to be lopsided as a result. The Cardinals had the ball for more than 15 minutes than the Giants. But that's the reason why the Giants barely had any at-bats, any opportunities, because they finished 3 of 12 on third down. Now, as you mentioned— Early in the game, there's no doubt about it. The downs were manageable. Then it got completely out of whack late in the game because well, they right, had a they're 15 passing. and a 27-yard right. third down mm -hmm. that you had to convert. Yeah, because they turned into a passing team, and that's yeah, when you get exactly. negative plays. And they're not built 
right now to try to claw their way back into games under those circumstances. So once again, it played perfectly into the hands of the Cardinals. The Giants shot themselves in the foot because of the lack of execution on third down, which has been an up and down issue in fairness throughout the course of the season. I mean, when you look at the rankings, the Giants were coming in 23rd in the NFL on third down efficiency, but the rushing attack, I think, helped cover that up because they were able to, once again, get into some reasonable third downs at critical times in games, and then Daniel Jones would have favorable passing situations. In this game, it was you had to bail on the run, and then you're getting into third and longs as the game progresses. So now the Cardinals are going to pin their ears back, and they're going to attack the quarterback, and that's exactly how they wanted it. But the fact that you get 49 plays, I mean, that number is very small in terms of volume. And then when I hear people talk about, well, the Giants abandoned the run, well, hold on a minute. John, they ran 25 plays in the first half. They ran the ball 10 times out of the 25 plays. Do the math. I mean, that's 50% of your plays are on the ground. There was balance in the first half. The problem was there were no sustainable drives because of the inability to convert third downs. And then all of a sudden in the second half, okay, we'll do the math. If you ran 25 plays in the first half and you ran 49 overall, okay, you're talking about 44 plays in the second half, but now you're down 20 to nothing as you hit on. It's not favorable to run the ball, so of course the numbers are going to be a bit lopsided in the second half, and you're not going to be able to run a balanced offense. Game flow is going to dictate that. As much as the Giants want to stick to the ground game, there gets to a point where the clock is not your friend, John, and you eventually have to realize, okay, we can't afford to put together an 11-play, 80-yard drive where we're pounding the football, we're running clock, we need to be a little bit more efficient, and that's why they couldn't run the ball from a volume standpoint when you look at how the second half played out. Yeah, they, they just didn't, to, to, to use one of your phrases, Lance, they didn't have the at-bats. Yeah, if 100%. You, if you can't convert those third downs, you can't create enough plays where you can get a consistent running game going. And the running game was fine. Like, if you look at the aver- the averages, you know, it, it was okay. They didn't get that big chunk run like they got last week on the 60-yard run. But the average 4.6 yards per carry, Goldman 12 for 57 is pretty good. It's not well, bad. here's the other thing. They only had three runs for no gain or negative yards. Exactly. And that was on the low side when you look at the season overall. So I'm with you. It was just the volume wasn't high. 17 carries. John, when you look at the previous few games, let's go all the way back to week four at the Rams. They have had, from that game on, at least 22 carries in every single game. This was the first time they had less than 20 carries since week three against the Niners. And what was the coincidence in that game compared to Arizona? Another lopsided affair where they had to play from behind. That's no coincidence. And just very quickly on the third down lines, I looked it up. This is to give fans an idea of how the third down and distance is so important. Well, on third down, this, this is for the Giants specifically this year. On third downs of seven or more yards... The Giants convert 20% of their opportunities. That's 25th in the league. On third downs between four and six yards, the Giants convert 52% of their opportunities, seventh in the league. On third and under four yards, they're 61%, 18th in the league. So the Giants have been pretty good at those third and shorts, third and mediums this year. Third and longs, they have no shot. I mean, it's just usually not going to happen uh, just because, to your point, the way they're structured. So, and Lance, I guess it'll be the last thing I mentioned before we get to the calls. That brings us back to this passing attack. And look, you can win games by playing defense and running the ball, and you can win games that way. But look, you're playing a lot of ex- really good quarterbacks. You're playing a lot of explosive offenses at some point. And again, maybe this year isn't the year it happens, but you have to build up to this point and continue to build this offense now where you're able to win these games, where you got to put up, 
you know, point, you know, high 20s, low 30s. You know, you're playing good teams. Look what the Ravens and the Browns did last night, the Giants' two opponents. They both were in the 30s, okay? And they scored 35 points combined in the fourth quarter, right? Something crazy like that. Well, they both finished in the 40s, actually. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. They both finished in the 40s. You're right. But I think they combined for 35 points in the fourth quarter. So yep. it, you're going to have to score points at some point. And I think it's a, the Giants have had issues this year against teams that have been able to play sticky man coverage, and they haven't been able to get consistent separation. Uh, Evan Ingram... They did a really good job of covering him in this game. They didn't get those mismatches that they got with him a couple weeks ago when he was able to make those couple big plays down the field. It really helped the Giants win that game. I think that was against Cincinnati, right, if I remember correctly, um, coming off the bye. So, you know, they weren't able to get that consistent separation, get those explosive plays down the field. I think part of that is, you know, as we saw, when the offensive line has to protect in situations where the quarterback's holding the ball a long time, it generally doesn't go well. Uh, this week, by the way, you have two really good edge rushers and then a really good pass rushing team the following week, so I'm not sure this is the time to try it. But at some point, they're going to have to figure out a way for this team to be a more explosive and consistent passing team so when they get out of this formula, they're still able to win games. They're just not there quite yet. Well, we saw some flashes against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but remember that was a game in which Daniel Jones was taking shots, just couldn't connect. Yep. So we've seen it come in bits and pieces, John, but it hasn't necessarily been a consistent staple to this offense, to your point. And I think also you got to tip your cap to the Cardinals' coverage. I thought Buda Baker did a really good job on Evan Ingram. I think that's a big reason why Evan didn't have notable statistics. And they got two veteran corners in Patrick Peterson and what they're working with in terms of the other side as well. Drake so, or Patrick, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. you, you take all that into consideration. The former Cincinnati Bengals corner. Yep. You know, these guys are the veterans. These are not rookies that they're operating with on the back end. And all of that, I think, came to fruition. So now you're talking about a Browns team, which is very strong up front. If anything, I would say their weakness is the secondary. We'll see whether or not Denzel Ward could come back. He's one of their best cornerbacks. He's been sidelined on IR. He will be eligible to return. So we'll look at the practice report this week. But once again, it's a copycat league. And if you're Cleveland, you're watching the film, and you're saying to yourself, we want this to become a Daniel Jones passing game. We are not going to allow the Giants to get comfortable with the rushing attack. And until the Giants can answer that and respond to that, it's going to be a very tough challenge for them to be able to manufacture points. Because look at the last three games, John. They have not scored 20 points, yet they won two of those three games. They scored 19 against the Bengals. They scored 17 against the Seahawks. And credit is owed to the Giants' defense. But... You cannot continue to follow this script and think more often than not you're going to win games. Case in point, the Pittsburgh Steelers have gone three straight games in which they have not scored 20 points, and they've got one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they're now losing two mm -hmm. games. They've only won one of their last three when they have failed to score 20 points. It puts too much stress and strain on your defense, no matter how well that group is playing, because all it takes is one breakdown, one touchdown, and the opposition is very much back in the game and then may need a field goal to win, which was the situation in Cincinnati. So as good as the defense has been for the Giants, right now you can't go into every game thinking the Giants are going to hold teams to 17 points and the Giants' offense will be able to get to 19 and they're going to walk away with wins. It's just not practical for that to play out consistently this season. I'm with you, Lance. 
Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games. Once again, head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And, of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our shows at Giants.com slash podcast on your favorite podcast platforms and on the Giants mobile app. All right, let's go to the calls, 973-667-1960. I'm happy Abdul was able to get back on the line and calls back. We had a good conversation with him about the Giants offense last week, and now we can continue it. Abdul, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. So you guys basically covered a lot of what I was going to bring up anyway. That's okay. I think we're Go kind ahead. Of talking, uh, talking around the subject. We're talking about the, the main cause, and I think it's Jason Garrett's offense. And, I, and when I called last week, I basically said what happened to the game. I said, you know, it's, it's historically his offense has been known not to put any kind of pressure on defenses. It's pretty vanilla. It's pretty predictable. Uh, it doesn't score enough points. See, but Abdul, and, here, here's the problem you know, I have, I, though. Let, let, let's take this game out because Daniel Jones was hurt. I don't think he was able to uh, to, to scramble like he used to. But look, look at the games before that. As you mentioned, the last two games that they played, they couldn't break 20 points. And that's been, like, all season, right? So, fine. How are we, we going to fix it? Is it, a, is it an issue with his design? Or is it the players? Or is it a mixture book? Because I'm not here. I, I don't want to hear the slam on Garrett, you know what I mean? Because I don't think it'll be productive to get rid of him and have Daniel Jones in a third offense in three years. Right, see, Abdul, see, Abdul right. he, he, here's the thing. I get, and, and I will use a word that I hate, but I'll use it so the younger folks out there will understand what I'm talking about. I get triggered when somebody calls in and says, oh, the, the offense is predictable. Do you know how many offensive coordinators, offenses for the Giants have been predictable since I've been here, according to fans? Sure. Every yeah, single one of them. It was Gilbride, it was McAdoo, it was Sherber. Go down the line. Every single one of them was predictable. Everyone knew what was coming. It didn't matter who it was. So that that yeah. gets me a little irritated because okay, I don't me, like fine. that. Let's take the adjective out of the conversation. Okay. Okay? Well, look, let's get it out of there. But it does not put enough pressure on defenses for, for, for whatever reason. Okay? Mm-hmm. Fair enough? That, no, that's fair. I agree. Okay. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. That's fine. So look at um, the, the game last night, right? Cleveland, um, I'm not forgetting his name. The quarterback of Cleveland. Uh, Baker Mayfield. He, Mayfield. He looked like a bust last year. Everything was a bust. He gets um, the, the, the new, the new uh, offensive coordinator, uh, Stefanski, is kind of an offensive guy. He's looking great. Well, well look, look, he, look, he did last week, Abdul, but like t- like three, four weeks before that, Cleveland fans were wondering if he was the guy. He had a couple really mediocre games in a row. Year than did last year. Uh, I would say a little bit, yes, but I think how much of Baker's success has to do with their run game? And well, the play sure, action off of that. The, Baker also was learning a new think, offense, too, last year. You have to take that into consideration. He's had a lot of offensive coordinators early in his career, too. Much like Jones, right. by the way. But, yeah. but he's gotten one this year that, that's actually – listen, it could be coincidence, but I, I'm, I'm just throwing out there that a lot of the times players and often uh, players look better when they have the right coaching. I think Joe Judge is a perfect example of that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I think right now this team, I think it was, it was under Schumer, it wouldn't be playing as hard as it is now. Joe, Joe Judge's coaching has made a huge difference, and I'm and I'm I want to be proven wrong, but it seems like um, Garrett's coaching and offensive scheme is a big problem with what's going on. Well, Abdul, right I, 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 I want to throw this angle at you and see what you think because okay. I think 
and I answered a question on on the Giants mailbag about this that 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 should hit the website today, and it was basically your same exact point that when is Jason Garrett going to open up the offense, right? When is he going to try to do more? And my answer to that is is very simple. Yes, if you throw a lot more on first down, you do longer dropbacks, you ask Jones to hold the ball longer to try to make some plays down the field, you're probably going to score more points. You're going to be a more productive offense. Here's the problem. Along with that, you're going to get more sacks, which is going to lead to more turnovers, and you're going to give the ball away a lot more. Like, you go back to last year's offense, right? They were more productive than this year's offense in terms of yards and moving the ball and stuff like that. Daniel Jones also had three times, three times nearly, the number of turnover-worthy plays, about two and a half times. So I think what happens is, yeah, you'll get some more points, you'll get some more yards, but are the mistakes and the negative plays and the turnovers along the way going to counteract that and make it less likely for you to actually win the game? And I think, and look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not in these meeting rooms. I'm not talking to Joe Judge and Jason Garrett. But my guess, and this is just a guess, their conversations, especially after the turnover issues the Giants had early in the year. Remember, the first six, seven games, they were the worst turnover team in the league except sure, for the Cowboys. Yeah. It's gotten better, yeah. Yeah, so I, and I think it's gotten better because of the way they've put this offense together. And I think that's why the offensive line looks better. It's because of the way they're running their offense and the fact that they are conservative, which I know drives people nuts. I get it. But I think you saw at the end of this game, if they try to open things up, things can get ugly. And you can, and you, you might have a game or two where it doesn't happen and you score some points, but right. then I think the sacks and the turnovers and all that stuff is going to come back to the surface because especially without Saquon Barkley, you know, you don't have that game-breaking offensive sure. player right. that you can count on on an every-down basis to kind of make those explosive plays. So my guess is that Garrett and Judge have talked and they're like, look, what's the best chance we have not to score the most points but to win games? And I think right. they've decided their best chance to win games is rely on our defense, don't let the offense beat ourselves. Now, that happened at the beginning of this game anyway, so it backfired in this game. I get that. But I think my guess is that that's the conversation they've had. Run the ball. Be be very methodical about it. Don't make those big mistakes to put the defense in bad spots, and we'll try to win the games with our defense. That's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. That's just my guess. Well, even more so with Daniel Jones dealing with the hamstring injury, too. I mean, I think that's another factor that probably has convinced them that, I don't want to say protect the quarterback, but don't put the quarterback in a precarious situation where now you're going to ask the offensive line to do things that they may not be very strong at. That's why if you go back to the Seattle game, Jason Garrity put multiple tight ends on the field, and he said we're going to go with big personnel and we're going to run the ball. We're going to win time of possession. We're going to wear down the Seahawks defense. And when you're executing, that works great. You're not going to get the big explosive plays down the field, but you're protecting your quarterback, you're protecting the football, and you're getting into favorable and manageable third downs. And the team is built in a manner in which it could do that successfully. But the problem is there's a trade-off. When you can't dictate at the line of scrimmage and the other team is able to all of a sudden jump out to an early lead, can you overcome those deficits based on those principles? So it's really, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't at this point. And there's a lot of factors between injuries and personnel and guys maybe not getting overall great separation that have come in to basically fine-tune that philosophy as of late. Well, I guess, I guess um, and I'll, I'll leave that after the statement. My biggest concern is I'm not looking at specific games right now. I'm looking at the whole body of the offense. And my biggest issue is that when he was hired, when Gary was hired, everything that's happening now, people predicted. People said this and this and this, 
is the issue with Garrett's offense. And everything they said back the first day he was hired is coming to fruition right now. That is my biggest red flag. Okay? I'm not talking about specifics, you know, because every game that I'm saying overall, that is my biggest issue. And that's why I'm concerned because it's his, that's what he's known for. And 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 it's, it's happening again. So, listen, I hope it turns around. I want, you know, I want, you know, of course I want the Giants to win, but, you know, I'm a little skeptical about having him as an offensive coordinator and if, if, if he could turn it around. Not fair anyway, enough. Anyway, listen. All right, take care, guys. Thank you, Abdul. All Good right, stuff. Abdul. Not fair call. Um, and, look, I, I see what he's saying, but I think when you have to look at how the early season went, Lance, when they did try to throw the ball a little bit more and the run game just wasn't working at all, and look, they, they you know, how many times do we see Evan Ingram on jet sweeps? You saw a bunch of trick plays. Golden Tate was the, used as a passer. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen some a, a decent level of creativity yeah. here. I really do. Um, you know, they've gotten Evan Ingram, you know, some one-on-one matchups that, that he was able to win. I think he's trying different things now. You could talk about things like, you know, jet sweep motion and 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 bunch formations and, and things like that. I I get that. But look, they've used no huddle more than any other team in the league except for one. The only team that's used no huddle more than the Giants is the Cardinals. That's a lot of no huddle. You know, in the last five games, they've used play action the 10th most in the league. They've been using play action. You know, they've been trying to do some creative things here. You know, going three tight ends, you know, might not, you know, tickle people's fancy, but it is different. It is, yeah. That's switching things up. That's why I referenced that against Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's different. And the funny thing is that, you know, that strip sack on Daniel Jones that turned into, uh, that eventually, to your point, Lance, really set the stage for the whole game. That was on a three tight end play. They ran play action on three tight ends. The protection, either it wasn't set up right or it wasn't executed right. The Cardinals kind of had a, uh, and I think this was their adjustment, Lance, and this is the, the cat and mouse game you get, right, from from week to week. And the Giants came out in that three tight ends, and the Cardinals answer, okay, well, we're sending our goal line package out. So they sent out four defensive linemen and four linebackers against that Giants 13 personnel. And we didn't see that Cardinal formation, I don't think, the rest of the game. And I think the Giants only used those three tight ends once the rest of the game. So they saw that three tight ends on the field the week before. So the Cardinal answered with a 4-4-3 scenario. I think it messed up the Giants' protections on that play-action pass, and Jones gets walloped. And that just shows you how week-to-week teams see what you're doing, and they're going to make some adjustments on you. 100%. Whenever you unleash a new facet of your offense, there's film now out there. So Arizona watched the Seattle game and said, oh, this is something new. The Giants are now utilizing three tight ends. If they do that again to us, what are we going to do? And Wayne Goldman, actually, I believe in his postgame presser, was the one that talked about that 4-4-3 alignment in which the Cardinals started to implement. Oh, did he? I didn't even hear that. That's interesting. And that threw them for a bit of a loop. Not to say that they were ill-prepared for it, but once again, the Cardinals countered. So now, what are the Giants going to do? What's their chess move in response to that? I don't think that should surprise anybody. That's another reason why I know when Joe Judge says this, it may come off as cliche, but I find that there's so much validity behind it, John. After every game, he's asked about, well, you know, what went wrong against Arizona? How is that possible when you guys executed so well against Seattle? And his response is simply, well, what we did against Seattle really has no bearing in terms of what we did against Arizona because if the execution is not at the same level and they make adjustments, it's a completely separate, completely different island. And it is. I think we get caught up in the momentum conversation, stacking the W's. But really, if you look at, even though the premise has been, yes, the Giants have been running the ball and they've been playing good defense, the styles and the manners in which they've been winning games or have had to close out games have really been very different 
week in and week out. And I think that was extremely noticeable when you hold up the Seattle game versus the Arizona game. So you can't think that, well, the Giants are going to roll out the three tight end look. They're going to run it down the throats of everybody else, and nobody's going to make an adjustment, and it's going to be smooth sailing. That's just not how the NFL works. There are so many things that you see that impress you one week and then are a complete disappointment the following week. I would say the same thing about the Steelers in terms of their recent performances. And then you look at Buffalo, a team that early in the season had its fair share of issues. That's why it's all about consistency when you watch a team and when you monitor a team. What can they hang their hat on and what can they do or what have you seen that shows up every game? That's the sign of a team that could separate itself from the rest of the pack. If it's more of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, then pretty much you're thrown into the fire with the rest of the league, which is competitive balance, and anybody on any given week can beat each other. But the teams that can get the distance, those are the ones that can hang their hat on a specific facet. And I think we've seen flashes of that with the Giants, but we haven't necessarily seen the consistency, and that's why they haven't been able to separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Yeah, Lance, it's, it's basically 16 one-week seasons for each team. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of how we operate, too. That's why we focus on matchups so much. Because just because something worked the last week against one team doesn't mean it's going to work the next week against another team because of their scheme or their personnel, things like that. So things do often change. It's it's just the way it goes in the National Football League. A lot of things can change week to week. You know, a couple weeks, a team looks like they could be going to the Super Bowl, and then two weeks after that, like, oh, man, I'm not sure if that team is going to make the playoffs. It's just it's just the way things go. It's, it's very much a week-to-week league. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Caller, you're on the line with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Keith from Cranford. Keith, what's up, pal? What do you got? Oh, I just want to tell you, you guys have been doing a good job. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for calling well, in. We appreciate in. the nice words. Yeah. Um, wh- what I wanted to talk about was, one, I, I don't think uh, DJ had had enough practice, and the fact that he wasn't as mobile as he needs to be, it changes his whole game. Um, and if we, we look at the last three games, I think it's, a, it's possible for us to make the playoffs, but I don't think it's probable. We need to solve the many problems and don't have enough weapons. And I feel that we need to get back to, I like the heavy formation using the three tight ends. And I think it helps us run the ball. And you can throw, you can still drop out those uh, one of those one or two of the tight ends and go to a passing game. So I I think it adds a little bit more flexibility and it's a little bit harder to cover. I just like to see us try to run the ball a little bit more. And uh, I just don't see us winning any shootouts. Uh, it's, we're just not built for it right now. Now, look, Keith, I agree. I think if the Giants want to win games. You got to hold the opponent to right now, Lance, to be confident. What at most twenty three, maybe once teams get to that twenty seven area, I think it's going to be pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, especially with the way the last few games have been going. You know, Washington scored twenty; they won twenty three to twenty. The Bucks scored twenty five; they lost that game by two. Yeah, once you get beyond twenty two to twenty three points, it's almost like pulling teeth. So you don't have a lot of wiggle room there. Keith, as far as your point about, you know, you want to see them run the ball more, and I get it. Maybe it's a fair point to bring up against the Cardinals, but when you look at the volume of carries prior to the game against Arizona, you know, they had at least 31 carries in every game. So I don't really think it's a volume issue. They're running the ball, but it's a game flow issue. 
if they're not playing in a position where they're leading the game, sometimes that doesn't afford them the luxury of running the ball. That's the bigger issue. Oh, I totally agree with you on that. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping that they can get out ahead and, or stay in it and then get ahead somehow and, and be able to control the game a little bit more. And I think that's the strength of their team is be able to run the ball and you know, keep teams off balance where they're going to run and how much they have to go in to stop things. But I wish Jones could run the ball too because that makes them so they have to throw another guy watching him. And it changes the game when he can't. No, it does, and I think it'll be interesting, Keith, to watch whether or not Jones is able to get back onto the field. They said he did not re-aggravate his hamstring, but there were other bumps and bruises, I believe was the quote that Joe Judge had yesterday, so we'll see how those other bumps and bruises manifest themselves this week, whether or not he practices on Wednesday and things of that nature. But he did not, obviously, and, and Joe Judge basically said it after the game, Lance, that, look, we knew he wasn't going to run the ball. <laughs> I mean, he basically said it. We were willing to make certain sacrifices here. Um, with his mobility because you think he's a better quarterback than, obviously, Colton. It's nothing against Colt McCoy, but they commi- they've committed to Daniel Jones. They want him on the field, and they were willing to sacrifice some of that mobility, Lance, whether it's running it or running to avoid pressure to get Jones back on the field. And that's going to be their approach again this year, this week. So he basically said if he looks the way he did last week in practice, Jones is going to be on the field this week against Cleveland. Well, keep in mind, remember, he did not practice leading up to the Seahawks game and wound up missing that game. He was limited on that Friday. Then he comes into last week. He's limited in the early stages of the week, and then he finally got in a full practice, John, in on Friday. So what does he get in practice-wise this week? I would probably expect it to be very similar to the previous week where maybe it's a little bit of limited and then moving towards a full practice towards the end of the week. But here's the bottom line. If medically speaking he gets the green light, then Joe Judge and Jason Garrett are of the philosophy of what you just hit on. Well, can he still give us a better chance to win? And I think that's where the Giants coaching staff stands, and they're willing to make sacrifices as a result. And also I think their logic was – even without Daniel Jones running the ball against Seattle, okay, if you go back to the numbers of the Seahawks game, Wayne Goldman and Alfred Morris were doing the heavy lifting on the ground. It was not a Daniel Jones run game. So they don't have to have Daniel Jones go out there and run for 80 yards for the Giants to have a successful run game. It could be done without Daniel Jones. But here's the difference. When Daniel can't run, that goes back to, John, what we were talking about third downs, downs and distances. That's the difference between consistently facing third and fours and third and fives versus maybe third and sevens and third and eights because on a second down where he doesn't have anywhere to throw the ball to, maybe he picks up two to three yards by extending the play and sliding. So that's where you lose out on your offense and the flow and the consistency when Daniel Jones can't run. It's the big difference of downs and distances later on in the drive, specifically on third down. That's where I think it comes back to bite a team like the Giants. And I that's something that, that they're going to have to watch out for moving forward because if you go up against the Cleveland Browns, I'm telling you, Cleveland's going to watch this film and they're going to say to themselves that if we saw how Daniel Jones and that offense operated, we're going to make sure that this is a game where he's got to get the ball to Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, and let's see if he can throw the ball 25 to 30 times and win the game. You know Cleveland's going to say that to themselves. Any good defensive coordinator is going to try to duplicate that plan, and if the Giants could solve that, that's when Cleveland all of a sudden has to adjust accordingly. 
Thank you, Keith. You got anything else for us? No, I think that's about it. I, I agree with what you guys are saying. I think your analysis is just great. Uh, well, Keith, appreciate we appreciate Keith. that. Lance will try not to hurt his shoulder patting himself on the back. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, oh boy. Yeah. It's already sore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Trust me, I know. <laughs> um, I, the other thing I'll throw out there too, Lance, and you mentioned getting to third and reasonable. I think converting those third and shorts and third and reasonables also gets hurt because Jones can't run for first downs. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you get into those situations, no one's open. I would have to look for it. Let's see if I can look that up while we're doing the show here. How many first down runs Daniel Jones has this year? So, I think that's a factor, too, where if Jones can't tuck it and run if nobody's open or if a team gets undisciplined with their um, with their, with their their blitz and they leave a passing uh, running lane open, he can't go and run it. It's easy to run for one yards or four yards if no one's open down the field, but if that's off the table, it makes things a little bit more difficult. Well, look at this last game, John. In comparison, look at what Kyler Murray did. Right for the Cardinals. Oh, How many times did he pick up a three or four yard scramble yep. and that helped a much more manageable third down to be set up? And this was the biggest storyline. And we talked about this on the Giants Radio Network pregame show. Kyler Murray was running the ball exactly five times in each of the last three games. So he had 15 total runs entering Sunday's game. And the previous four games, he was averaging 10 yards, 10 runs per game. So it's no coincidence that during the three-game losing streak, the runs were down because it's synonymous with Kyler Murray extending plays. So all of a sudden, the Giants now are coming into this game seeing, all right, is Kyler going to have more of that timid, be conservative approach, or is he going to try to spread his wings again? And then all of a sudden, as this game is progressing, Murray's taking more and more chances on the ground, and he finished with 13 runs. So he more than doubled his runs. Actually, let's put it in more perspective. If he had 15 total runs in yep. the last three games, he basically equaled the last three games combined against the Giants alone. That, to me, was a significant factor in helping Arizona be that much more productive on offense. Absolutely. And... We talked about it, and this is why your game plans each week, people talk, oh, you played Russell Wilson, now you're playing Kyle Murray, oh, you're ready to go, same scheme. No, 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 no. Well, you know, the Seahawks relied a lot on big plays, right? That's how their offense ran. The Cardinals are the team that's going to kill you with singles, right? Four yards, three yards, five yards, six yards, three yards, five yards, six yards, and that's kind of what they did in this game. They had a couple of chunk plays, lands, but it was just a bunch of like, all right, short yard, short pass, short pass, Yak short yardage pass. they were relying yeah, on. Yeah, Murray running it. Yeah. Hopkins catches a six-yard stop, and then he runs with the ball. Kenyon Drake, oh, he runs for four yards here, three yards there. And they were getting in third down and reasonables throughout the game. So, you know, it's just a different approach each week based on different teams. Wow, this is big. I just looked up that, that Daniel Jones thing, Lance, and I'll even look up third down specifically in a second. But overall, this year, how many first downs do you think Daniel Jones has run for? Well, let me look at, I'm going to bring up how many total runs he's had. That's fine. Just so that I can sure. use that for context. Let's see. On the season, Daniel Jones has run 55 times. So of the 55, how many led to first downs? Yes. How many of that 55 you think re led to first downs? I think some of those 55s might be scrambles and he gets like sacked and stuff like that. Sure. I'm not sure how that works and how they tally that. I'll say he's had, what, 20 runs for first downs? 17. Okay. 17. So I think that's significant, and I'm going to sort for third downs right now. And on third downs, he's only had four runs for first downs, which is interesting. I thought it'd be more than that, to be honest with you. He had one each against the uh, Eagles in Week 12 and then the uh, Eagles in Week 10 and then the Bengals 
in Week 12. So, yeah, look, it's a factor. And I do think also that Jones's threat to run also does help open up the running game too. Just having to worry about him tucking it for that read option opens yeah. up a little bit more space for Gallman. So I do think that is also an issue with the Giants. Well, I'm not comparing the Ravens to the Giants, okay? So don't misinterpret this last statement. But as I was watching the game last night against Cleveland, the one thing that makes Baltimore's rushing attack so convoluted and such a headache for defenses is when Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, and Lamar Jackson are all clicking, there are times where Lamar, you don't know. Is he going to hand it off? Is he going to keep it? Yep. And, you know, when you have to keep guessing as a defender, we even saw that when the Ravens played the Cowboys, there was the one big run. I forget if Lamar scored on a touchdown, but Leighton Van Der Esch was caught out of position. He was trying to dip towards his right. Lamar saw an alley on the left, and all it took was a fraction of a second for Van Der Esch to move over, and then Lamar took Full advantage of that, and he did that on a 17-yard touchdown run against Cleveland last night. So my point is, if Daniel Jones is a threat to run, you have to always account for it. He could be faking the handoff to Wayne Goldman. He may not be giving Wayne Goldman the ball, so you've got to make sure you're very well-disciplined with your eyes. When he's no longer a threat to do that, now you're just saying, okay, hey, just make sure we maintain gap integrity, make sure we bottle up Morris and Goldman, because we know he's not going to all of a sudden turn the corner. So that, to me, is a big difference between what Baltimore was able to do yesterday versus what the Giants had shown flashes of in the past. I'm with you. Giant fans get a New York Giants debit. Uh, I'm sorry, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at investorsbank.com/giants. Remember, FDIC. Back to the phones. Caller, you're on the air, Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, it's Martin from Wisconsin. Martin, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Doing great. Um, uh, going back to this last game. Um, I have to give DJ some credit, believe it or not. If you look at the game, our receivers had zero, <laughs> almost zero separation at all. And to DJ's credit, he really didn't force the ball. A lot of people are talking about how he held on to the ball so long. He really did not force the ball when there was there, there was no opportunities to throw it. There, there really wasn't. Um, now, I, I will say this, Martin, on a couple plays and on two of those third downs that I mentioned earlier were a couple of them where there were guys, he was maybe looking in the wrong spot, where there were guys open on parts of the field where he wasn't looking. I think there was a play where he threw it to, I think it was a third down play. He tried that Evan Ingram on like a shallow cross in the first half of that game, and he had Deion Lewis open in the flat. Tate that was open true. on a cross. Slayton was open. on. There was actually three guys open on the play. He threw it to like the one guy that was covered. Well, so well, I do maybe, think there were a couple plays where that did happen. Well, but generally speaking, I agree with you. Well, and, and it's probably his first reads. His second reads, he didn't have time to, to, to get to his second reads. Yeah, you could be right. Sure. You know, and um, what's the, what Marcus, uh, what's the guy that we, we traded to? Marcus Golden. Oh, he had a big-time yep. game. Oh, yeah. man. I, 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 I suspect that he was a factor not only on the field but off the field. you got to remember, he, he practiced with the second team. Yep. So any of our tendencies, I'm sure that, that was sure. talked about in their camp. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and, and we just got totally manhandled with their tackling and stunts. Now, moving forward to, to this coming game, we got to move forward. And, and it's totally winnable. It's, it's, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, speak, I'm preaching to the choir, but we have to control the clock and keep Baker off of the field. That is the biggest thing that we have to do. We don't have the people to go down the field like, like, like we want to. We're still in the rebuilding process, 
but we still can win games because we have a very good defense. Agreed. We have to keep Baker Mayfield and that offense on the sideline. Well, Martin, and, Martin, you know what? The key to that though is the defense stopping the run. And I, I watched yeah. around two, th- I watched around a hundred plays of, of of Nick Chubb today, and I know he doesn't get as much pub. I will take him maybe over any other running back in the league at this point. Put him right up there with Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry and those guys. I'm, I'm, he's right in that category for me. He is unbelievably good. Kareem Hunt's unbelievably good. Their run scheme and offensive line is unbelievably good. The Giants have not faced a challenge like this from another team's running attack all year. So this is going to be a real challenge for Blake Martinez and that defensive line. It should be fun. And Kareem Hunt also is dangerous as a receiver out of yep. the backfield. So it's not just stopping the run. It's also containing the backs in general because Baker will dump it off to them, and a five-yard short pass is just as effective as a five-yard run. Well, I think the, the game plan still stays the same defensively. We not, 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 don't get too fancy. We, we're, we're good as long as we, we, we get into our run fits as our linebackers. I think we're, as good as they are, I still think we'll be fine as long as we keep – their offense off the field, and not turn over the ball. Yeah, but you also need to do something with those possessions. Though. Thank you, Martin. We got a roll ball. And, and I'm with it. you. I'm with Martin's point about, yes, you want to see them run the ball, put together lengthy drives, win time of possession. But it also goes back, John, to what we were talking about with the lack of scoring in general. And while it may work for two games against the Bengals and the Seahawks, you're going to eventually go against a team that is able to put together a touchdown drive or two. And Baltimore's got one of the strongest defenses in the NFL, okay? Maybe statistically, they're not necessarily showing that way, and I get it. They gave up 42 points yesterday, but still, Baker was able to put together some drives where it took them four plays to go 70-some-odd yards in a touchdown. So this Cleveland offense has some explosiveness to it. And the Giants are going to be challenged with respect to that. There's no doubt about that. You also need to account for Jarvis Landry could throw the ball, and they have been using him as a staple within their offense. And those tight ends are big targets, okay, whether it be Bryant or Njoku. So there's a lot of facets to this Cleveland offense that I would say not necessarily equivalent to what the Giants have faced thus far. And as you brought up, John, the offensive line has vastly improved for this Cleveland group. That's a big reason why they're pounding the ball so effectively. So just don't take for granted that the way the defense performed against Seattle, for example, is the way the defense will perform against Cleveland. My point is milking the clock on its own alone is not necessarily a recipe for success. You've got to walk away with some points on those drives. Yeah, I wanna, yeah I'm with you. And just to get a little bit deeper in, into what Martin was talking about in terms of the battle in the trenches, which is kind of you know related to the stuff we're talking about with the, with the Browns game next week. And the Browns, by the way, they're kind of right in the middle of the league in terms of defense. They're ranked 19th. The Ravens were ranked. 14th or 15th heading into that game, something like that. So both those defenses are fine. They're nothing special. The Giants right now rank 11th in terms of yards per game uh, in, in terms of their defense. So they're kind of all in that same relative area. Cleveland allowing 19 more yards per game than the Giants or 20. It's, you know, significant, I guess, but not super significant. But I thought it was interesting, and the call I thought brought, a good, brought up a good point with Marcus Golden. You know, he didn't get all the sacks, but he was all over the place in that game. He I thought disrupted. he played wonderful. And I mentioned this earlier in the open. We talked about, you know, how the pressures got to Daniel Jones and and later Colt McCoy. And Andrew Thomas was interesting. And, you know, he talked about it a lot this week. And if you guys that listen to the show, this is something we were talking about back in week four and five here, is that, you know, his big issue earlier in the year was getting beat inside, right? 
where he would overset outside, he would worry about the speed rush, and he would get beat inside. Well, I almost feel like the Browns used that to their advantage this week and how they attacked him. They the Cardinals, kept, you mean. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, the, the Cardinals. I apologize. Thank you. Um, they would faint an inside rush and then pop back outside. And Thomas, his technique was good, but he was still a little concerned about getting beat inside. So he would kind of fall for that little twitch fake to the inside shoulder, and that would open up that outside rush because he didn't get beat inside in this game, Lance. All his losses were outside. Yeah, Reddick so, was coming around. Yes, yeah. and, and Golden did it to him a couple times too. So that to me was his issue. And then it was surprising because we hadn't seen this, but Zeitler whether it was with Parrott or whether it was with Cam Fleming, it happened with both guys. They had all sorts of trouble passing off twists on that side of the line of scrimmage. They kept running those those tackle end twists, which your fans don't know is basically kind of like a pick play. So the, the, the defensive tackle will basically go and try to engage the offensive tackle that's trying to block the defensive end, and the defensive end will loop around the inside and try to get to the quarterback. And theoretically... The offensive tackle picks up that first DT coming in, and then the looping defensive end gets picked up by the guard of the center. Well, Zeitler and Fleming slash Parrott, depending on the play, they were having all sorts of troubles passing those off, and that ended up in a lot of pressures, and that's an inside pressure, which is really hard for a quarterback to deal with. And we've seen that be an issue for the Giants' offensive line in years past, too, especially under Dallas's old regime. They oh, yeah. would run mm -hmm. a lot of twists and stunts, and they would have, more often than not, a lot of success against the Giants. For some reason, a lot of teams have not done that necessarily consistently well, against the Giants this season. You know, they had issues with it earlier in the year, Lance, but the last, you know, month or so, they've been a lot better at picking those up, but for some reason, they had issues with it this week. I, I, I'm not an offensive line coach. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that they did. And now this week, you get Miles Garrett, and you get Olivier Vernon. Oh, boy. So this is another big challenge for the Giants. Now, Vernon has been removed enough where I don't think he has the same advantage as Marcus Golden, John. No. Because Golden was with the team this year. So Golden has a little bit more insight, intel going up against those guys at practice. Vernon was not on the team last year, so there's a little bit more distance between him and some of his connections to the Giants players. So I don't know how much of a factor that is going to be from that standpoint. And guy like B.J. Goodson, for example, too, who we tend to forget, he's actually the leading tackler for the Browns. He also has been relatively far removed from the recent personnel. So I don't know if that's going to come into play as much as it did with Golden this week. Yeah, I will say this. Just in terms of pure edge rushers, so I'm you know throwing out Aaron Donald and, and things like that, but in terms of pure edge rushers, this might be the best pair that the Giants have faced this year. Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack are the other pair that I would compare, and I think they're probably in the same ballpark from earlier in the year when they faced the Bears. But this is going to be a huge challenge for Fleming, Pert, and Andrew Thomas this week. This is going to be their biggest challenge until the end of the year uh, to try to protect their quarterback because those guys are good. Miles Garrett, despite the fact he landed on the COVID list in the middle of the year, has double-digit sacks. You could argue he's the best edge rusher in the league, depending on who you talk to. And Vernon has is solid again. You know, he's going to get the you know, high single digits, low double digit sacks. He's managed to stay healthy this year. That's the key. Which has been big for him. Which It's really amazing. The guy never misses a game in Miami, <laughs> goes to the Giants, can't stay on the field, leaves the Giants, 
And then he doesn't get hurt again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It's some fluky situations I mean, that happen in the NFL. It's, yeah, it's Injury amazing. durability was never an issue in Miami. No. <laughs> at all. Yeah. You can't make it up. Anyway. You can't. The only other thing I was going to yeah. add, John, yeah, is please. I would put TJ Wan and Bud Dupree up there. Oh, no, that's fair, too. Who they played no, in week one. That's fair. I, I think you got to give them a little bit more credit. I put Dupree on a level a little bit below those other guys, but they would definitely be in the top three. No question about it. I'm with you. Big Blue yeah, kickoff fly. I mean, we forget it seemed like that was ages ago. Yeah. They played them in week one before, of course, Dupree recently got hurt. But that group has been you know, pretty consistent over the last two seasons, went healthy, of course. So I no, would I put agree. them you know, right behind Vernon and Garrett in, in terms of power and consistency. Yeah, I, yeah, I had honestly forgotten about that pairing, to be honest with you. But go, go, go. I, I agree. They're, they're definitely in, in, in that top three with, with the Chicago and, and the Browns. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The new New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. Let's go back to the calls. Final call, the program call. You're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Oh, it's Rick in Tampa. I'm the last guy on. Okay. What's up, How Rick? How you doing, John and Lance? How are you today? A um, uh, couple quick things uh, that I'm really upset about the Giants. The, the, the first thing, though, Aside from that, two other points is that that Hassan Reddick, who had such a great game against us, he uh, was in my. Uh, I had a good conversation with him last year before he was playing Tampa, and he was in my store down here, and um, we talked for like a good half hour. Nice about, guy. Uh, at the top, about the time uh, with uh, our defensive coordinator Belcher, who was from Arizona, and I was yeah. saying that how bad how bad he's doing with the Giants. And I, you know, I, you know, what did we see in him? And he, he had said to me, he goes, no, when he was with Arizona, obviously they were really good. And he goes, he had all the parts and we bought into his defense and he's a good defensive coordinator. I said, well, you know what? I don't see that here with us with the Giants. But, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, uh, but he had a great game, that guy. And uh, the other thing is that, you know, as a fan, I'm, uh, and I've talked to you guys about this a million times as I look ahead to games. Uh, you know, if Cleveland would have won, they would have possibly had a bigger head coming into this Sunday night's game, and then Baltimore would almost be out of it if they would have lost. So, of course, that didn't go as a fan's way. I know you don't want to hear that. Uh, no, I don't want to hear that because games. I think I that also okay. is way too much of a mental game <laughs> yeah. that you're playing. Because, and, and, yeah, you know, okay. even if Cleveland won, they would still then have an opportunity to tie the yeah. Steelers and win the division. Okay. So it would become even that bigger of a game for them. On Sunday night. Okay. And, 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 okay. and frankly, okay. Rick, I, for me, I always prefer to play a team coming off a win than coming off a loss. That might be mental for me, but I always feel like a team coming off a loss has a little bit of an edge trying to make up for that loss the prior week, especially a good team which, like Cleveland. Yeah, so. Which, yeah, so that's not buying good for the Giants. Okay, the two comments about the Giants game. I let the steam blow off yesterday. Uh, first point, Daniel Jones playing. You know what? He's not uh, Marino. He's not Manning. He's not a quarterback who has exceptional talent. He's a mediocre quarterback. And to think he could come in and just win a game, throwing the ball or something like that, his strength is is the quickness and being able to run a little bit. We've seen that last couple of games. For him not being able to do that, I think the coaching staff who we've put on a pedestal for the last couple of weeks really let the team yeah, down. Yeah, but Rick, down i got to be honest with you. What? Rick, i got to be honest with you. Even if you take Daniel Jones's mobility out of the equation and you're just looking at that player as a passer, who would you rather have out there throwing the football to your wide receivers, Colt McCoy or Daniel Jones? 
Uh, no, I'd rather have Daniel Jones, but the threat of... Conversation over. Can move a yeah, little I mean, more. there's really nothing no, more to discuss. No, conversation over. Once <laughs> you say right. you'd rather have Daniel Jones throwing the ball than Colt McCoy, the conversation's over. That means you play Daniel Jones. Colt McCoy's not a runner. I... I I know, but he he's, he he has a cheat. He, he ran a teeny bit against Seattle. Yeah. I mean, well, he's, he's not, a mobile right. quarterback. He can extend okay. plays. There's no doubt about it. Colt McCoy okay. ran two times for two yards against the Seattle right. Seahawks. By okay, the way. okay, all right. Because Paul made the comment yesterday that if, even if Daniel Jones was 150 percent and his usual self, we would have never won that game because of the way the rest of the team played. So, with that in mind, I'm going to the special teams real quick because this is the third week in a row where they've just totally had brain cramps. Or, or something has not performed well, and that is a problem that is not seem to be going away. So I have a problem with that as well for the Giants. No, I mean, that's going fair. Into these next two games. I mean, um, so it's. I mean, I, I you know it, it's frustrating because you know that game just all areas didn't. It's like they were reading. Who said it? They were reading the clippings. You went your head a little big. That kind of thing. I was hoping that Joe Judge would kept the team grounded a little bit more. Maybe I'm seeing that wrong, but I think that they weren't grounded. Boy, Rick, you and... love to play this mental game. I mean, execution <laughs> no is a word that you just don't want to say. You refuse to just look at it. The team didn't execute. The clippings, On how the points. Cleveland Browns are feeling about themselves coming off a look. I mean, are you a psychiatrist on the side? I mean, are you not revealing your true okay. profession to I... us? My I'm goodness. A, I'm a fan. I'm a fan who thinks too much into the games as I'm looking towards the Washington's easy schedule, which I said earlier in the week that they've got, and, and I'm concerned that Giants aren't just going to catch them. We've got two tough games now, and uh, we'll see. Daniel Jones playing or not? Your, your thoughts real quick. Yes, no? Uh, do you think? Do we think the Giants gonna, are going to catch Washington? Is that the question? No, no, no. Just, Daniel Jones playing Sunday? Oh. Yes or no? Um, thank you, Rick. I would say yes if I had to guess right now, Lance. If, if they played him, unless there's another injury we don't know about, based on those bumps and bruises that Joe Judge talked about in the media call yesterday, Lance, um, and the doctors, you know, tell him something. But he had not talked to the doctors yet uh, when he did the conference call on on Monday. But uh, I would say unless we have some new injury, I would think he's going to play. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, to me, another indication would be, John, I'd like to see him get at least one full practice in this week like he did last week. If he's more of on the limited side all week long, you know, then maybe it becomes more 50-50. But until that dramatically changes, I would expect him to be out there against the Cleveland Browns. I would like to see him full on Thursday. I think that, you know, Thursday's the big practice day. You do all your situations and stuff like that. I would like to see him practice full on Thursday. Yeah, because he was limited last week. He didn't get the full in until Friday. Mm -hmm. So there's no doubt about it. You'd like to see a little bit more progression in that department entering this week. And as far as Washington is concerned, here's why, John, and I know we're up against the clock, but I'm tired of the overanalyzation of the schedule. And this is not just for the Giants. This is for every team. What's happened with the NFC East in the last two weeks, John? We've seen the Giants beat the Seahawks. We've seen Washington hand the Steelers their first loss. And then we saw the Eagles knock off a Saints team that won nine in a row. Who would have thought that? Okay, exactly. <laughs> so anybody who wants to sell me on this is a win, this is a loss, this team is easy, this team is difficult, please. If you have not learned your lesson based on what has transpired over the last two weeks, then I don't know what to tell you. Now, that, to me, is overwhelming evidence. But I do think, for example, like we talked about those four games off the top of the schedule, right, in terms of how they win, their structure, their strong defenses. I think you can still have that conversation in terms of the matchups. But you're right. In terms of pegging wins and losses, I think, can be very, very difficult. Well, but remember, that was also talking about those teams at full strength 
coming out of the offseason and going right. based on the personnel from right. last year. Now, John, we're now in the meat and potatoes of the season That's where point. teams are losing personnel. You know, the developments that come week to week are very different than a team entering the first two or three weeks of the season. Not so those point. dynamics are in play as well. I'm with you. I'm with you, Lance. All right, tomorrow you are with Jeff Fiegels at noon. We have rejiggered our schedule because of high-maintenance Paul Dottino and his <laughs> other commitments. Uh, so it'll be Lance and Fiegels tomorrow at noon on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by the New York Lottery. It's part of our podcast network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our shows and podcasts, including Big Blue Kickoff Live, the Giants Huddle, and Giants Rewind on the Giants mobile app, on our favorite podcast platforms, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So I will not be talking to Lance until Sunday night at that point. Um, he will probably be devastated. So if <laughs> it, if he's a little depressed when he opens that show, it's 620 on WFN on Sunday night. Uh, you'll know why. So um, it'll be a tough go for him. I understand. Yes. It'll Let's be see. rough. Look see, who's now, doing all the talking. This Look is who's doing now, all the talking. Now, this is trash talk. Oh, okay. This is all trash talk. This well, let now, me remind yes. you this. See, it's not trash talk. I just go by the facts. <laughs> if you have been starting your scouting, which clearly I could tell you're not, I could have as many as three individuals playing in the Monday night game. So as oh, far really? as you telling true? me how my emotions are going to play out, <laughs> there could be a lot still in play by the time Sunday evening is over. That's all I got to tell you, my no, friend. Honestly, okay? look, all jokes aside, hey, look, Lance got to buy in the league, so he's got a good team. And Lance is one of those guys, by the way. He is a very... I would say un untypical fantasy strategy, and for him it works. So I have to tip my cap to him on. He doesn't really spend a lot of big money on stars. We do an auction league, and he basically has just like a very well-rounded team with some good backups and a bunch of really solid guys. He doesn't spend money on the big stars, and it works. You know, you went all the way last year, and uh, you're you're doing well this year. So um, it'll be a good it'll be it'll be a good matchup. It'll I am be, looking be forward a good to matchup. it. Yes, I am absolutely looking forward to it. Yes, I'll leave it at that. All right, we'll see you on Sunday, everybody. Uh, and, of course, Lance at Feeks tomorrow at noon on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next time, everybody, and enjoy the snow. I know I won't. <laughs> Adios.